Okay, John chapter 15 is where we will be this morning, continuing our series of the I Am statements. I am uh, the true vine. When our kids are little, we used to come up with the questions, you know, kind of stir up conversation, get things going. So, uh, for example, if you could eat any meal right now, what meal would you eat? Or if you could travel any place in the world, where would you travel? Or if you could be any animal, what would you be? Or, you know, one that came up with, if you could be any fruit, what fruit would you be? And, you know, usually it's like strawberries, banana, apple, whatever. They never said anything exotic because they'd never actually seen any exotic fruit. You know why? Because you can't buy exotic fruit in the grocery store. You know why you can't buy exotic fruit in the grocery store? Because Americans don't like exotic fruit. They don't like anything that's kind of, you know, strange fruit or kind of spooky fruit, right? Creepy fruit, stuff they've never seen before. For example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. The durian fruit is revered in Southeast Asia. It's called the king of fruits. But according to French naturalist Henri Mouhot, he said, on first tasting it, I thought it like the flesh of some animal in a state of putrefaction. (laughs) That's why it doesn't sell, right, at uh, HEB. Another one native to the rainforests of Central America is Monstera Deliciosa, right? Monstrously delicious in Latin. Uh, The problem is it takes a year to ripen. And if you eat it before it's ripe, it will poison you, (laughs) right? Literally every part of this fruit is poisonous. No wonder it doesn't sell. If I were a fruit, I would want to be a good fruit, right? I'd want to be a delicious fruit. I wouldn't want to be a putrid fruit or a prickly fruit. I'd want to be one that that is sweet and delicious and wholesome. You know, the Bible says that your life is fruity, well, not exactly that. It doesn't exactly say that. It says, it says your life uh, can bear fruit. Right? Your life can bear fruit. John chapter 15, Jesus walks out of the upper room and apparently he walks by a vineyard or a vine. And as is his habit, he sees something as he passes. You know, I'll say uh, life is like, kingdom of God's like a wheat field. It's like a, a net that's being thrown into the sea. This time he says, life is like a vineyard. Life's like a vineyard. Your, your life, it's like a branch. My life is like being a vine. This is our life together. And my goal for your life is that you would bear a lot of really, really good fruit. I want you to read with me John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit in me, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is going to give four qualities of fruitful branches in John chapter 15. Four qualities of fruitful branches. The first is this. Fruitful branches attached to the true vine. When Jesus said, I am the true vine, any Jewish listener would have stopped and said, wait a second, Jesus, 
How can you say you're the true vine? We're the vine. Right? We, Israel, our nation, we are the vine. Jesus, how can you say you, you alone are the true vine? Because in Jewish thought, in their self-identity, they saw themselves as the vine. Let me read to you from the book of Hosea. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. And from Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his delightful plant. In Jewish consciousness, their self-identity was, we are the vine. We are the vine. In fact, the first coin that was minted in the modern state of Israel has a grapevine on it and a cluster of grapes. The gate that went into Herod's temple had a grapevine around it because the Jewish nation saw itself as the vine. And now here Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And they would say, no, Jesus, wait, what do you mean? We're the vine. We're the vine. But the problem with Israel as a vine is that it failed to produce good fruit. Reading again in Isaiah Chapter 5, verse 4. The Lord says, What more was there for me to do for my vineyard than what I have already done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless grapes? And from Hosea, chapter 10. Israel is a luxuriant vine, but he produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made sacred pillars. He produced bad fruit. And the result was in the prophets uh, pictured as burning. God came through and he, he burned his own vineyard. Literally, he sent them away into exile. But God didn't abandon his vineyard. He wanted his vineyard to grow again. And so he brought his people back from exile. He brought them back into the promised land. He replanted them. But the problem was even when they were replanted, they began to grow bad fruit again. Bad fruit of of self-righteousness manifested in the fact that they rejected Jesus as the true vine. Jesus would actually say in a parable that I want to speak to you, leaders of the nation, Pharisees, Sadducees, those of the ruling class who are leading the people down this pathway. You are self-righteous. You view yourselves as having a righteousness derived in and of your own efforts, and you view others with contempt. Later, the Apostle Paul himself, a Pharisee, a spiritual leader of the nation, would say, that's the righteousness that I had. A righteousness derived by myself and by my own effort. Israel was once again producing bad fruit. And Jesus would say, once again, the result will be that you will be burned. Shortly after, or shortly before this event, in John chapter 15, Jesus had come to Jerusalem. He's walking through Jerusalem, and he looked to the side of the road, and he saw a fig tree, which was another image of the nation of Israel. And he saw the fig tree, and he said, you will never bear fruit again. Specifically, just hours later, he would say, do you see all of these stones of the temple and the walls of this city? Do you realize that not one stone will be left upon another? Why? Because he would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would have none of it. You did not want my righteousness. You did not want me. And the result is your vineyard will again be burned. You will be scattered. John chapter 15, 
and verse 2. My translation reads, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But a better translation is this, every branch that does not bear fruit in me. Okay, every branch that is bearing fruit in and of itself, he is going to take it away. To what he means in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. What is Jesus speaking of? He's speaking of that generation that rejected Jesus. Anyone that tried to bear fruit in and of themselves didn't actually have life. They were dead. There was no life in them. Illustrated by, by Judas who left. Illustrated by the scribes and the Pharisees who put Jesus on the cross. Illustrated by any person that doesn't attach themselves to Jesus. There is one vine and it is Jesus. There's one source of life and that is Jesus. Do you see the theme that's been developing? Throughout our entire study of these seven I am's, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the door. He's the way into life with God. He is the good shepherd. No one can be a part of the flock unless they come through the shepherd, Jesus. He is the only way to life. And now he says, I am the true vine. Do you want to have life? Then you have to be attached to me. Are you attached to Jesus? I want you to hold your place here in John chapter 15 and turn back to Psalm chapter 80. Psalm 80. You will never read this psalm again the same way. Psalm chapter 80. And read with me in verse 8. You, Father, removed a vine from Egypt. That's the exodus. You drove out the nations and planted it. That's the conquest. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way may pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Why? Turn again, why? Because the vineyard, which is Israel, is broken down. It's in disrepair. It's under attack. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine, even the shoot which your right hand has planted. And listen to this. And the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. The vineyard, it is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. But let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. And how will we be saved and restored? Because you will send the son of your right hand, your strength to restore the vineyard. And here is Jesus and he is offering himself as the one true vine, the one source of life. And that is the question that is first and foremost before every man and woman is, are you attached to Jesus? And according to John's theology, how do you become attached to Jesus? You just believe. You can't work your way in. Jesus would say in John 6, this is the work of God, that you believe, that you believe. Believe that it is Jesus who is the son of God's right hand, that he is the one that God sent to remove the debt of your sin and give you eternal life. Be attached to the true vine. Fruitful branches 
are attached to the true vine. Second, fruitful branches abide in the true vine. Turn again to John chapter 15 and verse 4. John 15 verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Key word in John chapter 15 is abide. To abide means to remain in intimate fellowship. To abide means to remain in intimate fellowship. Uh, those of you who are students here, uh, you have roommates, right? You, you, you got here, college, first time you ever had roommates that were not siblings or parents, right? And uh, maybe you went potluck, maybe you got lucky with potluck, and you found somebody that you really, really deeply enjoyed, and you end up, you, you live with that person two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, whatever, right? I mean, uh, whatever it takes. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you have had that experience or those of you adults, if you can remember that far back, when you had college roommates, but when you find somebody you really enjoy living with and you live with them for year after year after year, uh, you begin to kind of, your, your lives kind of merge together, right? You uh, eat the same food, you're eating out of the refrigerator, you begin to share meals together, you might even begin to talk similarly, use similar phrases, the same kind of jokes make you laugh. Uh, if you're girls, you share clothes, right? I mean, you, I know, they go back and forth. and You go into each other's closets, and you, so you begin to dress like one another. Guys, you dress like one another, even if you don't share the clothes, you begin to look the same, right? There's something, there's this merging, right? That's abiding. Jesus said, my Father and I will come, and we will make our abode with you. We will dwell with you. That is, we will be in intimate fellowship with you. That's what it means to abide. Now let me make a distinction here between relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. Keep those words in your mind and turn just back one chapter to John chapter 13 and verse 5. John chapter 13 verse 5. Jesus has just had that final meal with his disciples The meal has ended. Verse 5. says, Then he poured water into the basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? See, Peter's at the, the end of the row, right? He's at the end of the table, and Jesus has washed the feet of all 11 disciples, and now he's come to Peter and Peter, Peter again says, he says, no, this, this just doesn't feel right. You're, you're the master and I'm the follower. Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize. You, do, you really don't understand it right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my head and my hands. Let's let's bathe the entire body. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason. He said, not all of you are clean. What's happening here? Jesus says, 
Peter, you are clean. Spiritually speaking, it's as if you've already taken the bath. But your feet need to be cleansed. You've taken the bath, meaning you are in relationship with me. You belong to me. But you came in here with dirty feet. And it's not appropriate to share a meal together with dirty feet. You belong here because you have bathed. You are clean. You are in a permanent relationship with me. But you are not in good fellowship with me because your feet are dirty. And notice the distinction he makes. He says, but I know that not all of you are clean. That is Judas. Why? Because Judas had not believed and Judas demonstrated that by going out. He left and he betrayed the Lord. He hadn't taken the bath. But he says, the rest of you, you are bathed. You are clean. But I want you to be in intimate fellowship with me. So let's wash your feet. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet and he is completely clean. But you are clean and yet not all of you. Look at John chapter 15 now in verse 3. At this point in time, Judas has left. He's gone to the high priest. He's agreed to betray Jesus. Now it's just the 11 with Jesus. And he says in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, Jesus speaking to the 11, to a group that belonged to him, he says, here's my command to you. Abide in me. Here's my command to you. Remain in intimate fellowship with me. You cannot lose your relationship with me. You you will not be that branch that is cast out because it did not believe. Why? Because once you belong to me, you belong to me permanently. Remember we talked about this last week. The good shepherd, Jesus, takes you and he puts you in the palm of his hand and he wraps his fingers around you and you belong to him. And then the father puts his hand around the hand of the son and then the spirit seals you up. And once you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus forever. Once you belong to father, son, and spirit, you belong to them forever. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives to me, I will raise them up on the last day. They will not perish by any means. They belong to me. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you will always be in relationship with Jesus Christ. But are you abiding in him? Are you remaining deeply in fellowship with him and enjoying that relationship? Jesus commands his disciples who belong to him, stay in fellowship with me. So how do we do that? I would argue that the the essence, in a sense, of abiding is humble, dependent, conscious, active reliance. Actively, consciously, humbly relying on Jesus Christ. Remember just a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus walking across the water and he comes toward the boat and the disciples are afraid They think it's a ghost. And in one account, we're told that Jesus called out and he said, Peter, come on. Just get out of the boat. Can you imagine? I mean, really, would you have gotten out of the boat? I, 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 I don't know. I don't think I would have. I just can't imagine. But Peter, he's spontaneous, right? He's impetuous. Says, all right, Jesus says, come, I'm come. Jumps out of the boat. And he's walking on water. There is nothing really special about Peter, 
right? He's just a guy. In fact, there are a lot of things that aren't special about Peter, right? He's just talking all the time and he can't control his mouth. And yet he does something that is entirely supernatural. A man walks on water because his eyes are set on Jesus. But then as he begins to look around at the storm and the wind and the waves and he puts his eyes down, what happens? He sinks. He sinks. When his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he can do anything. He can walk on water. He can walk on water, which is how we describe being able to do anything. Well, that man can walk on water. (laughs) He can do absolutely anything. Peter's walking on water. When his eyes are fixed on Jesus, when he's abiding in Jesus, when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he's not abiding. He's looking at the rest of the things that are transpiring in the world around him. He begins to sink. Jesus says, abide in me. What does that mean? It means active, humble, dependence. Expressed in one way through prayer. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask. Ask, beg, seek. You know, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Because when you do so, you're reaching out in in, in humility and dependence upon God. You're you're clinging to him because you need something from him. Now, my wife and I have been married for 20 years. But I want you to imagine for a moment that when we got married, we decided, you know, we don't really want to or need to move in with one another. We're just going to keep our own places here. And what we'll do is uh, periodically we'll just kind of get together and reconnect and see what's going on. I don't know, once a month maybe? We're married, but l- let's just have coffee at least once a month so we can find out what's going on in one another's lives. Well, actually, we don't even need to do that. I'll just check your Facebook posts and see what you're doing and what you're up to. And I'll see what other people are writing about you and the things that you are doing. That's how most of us approach our relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll just check in once in a while, or we'll just read what others are posting about him. That's encouraging. That's enough. That's not abiding. Through prayer, we are reaching out actively, and we're saying, God, I need you for this day, and I know that I need you for this day, and nothing good will come of this day unless I'm consciously, actively depending upon you. We abide through prayer. We abide through Obedience, doing the things that we know that God has called us to do, the clear things. Chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. And what is the specific commandment in the context? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How do we abide in Jesus? We, We love Jesus more than anything around us. And we choose to love one another. How? Well, Jesus says, this is the way. I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. I get down on my hands and knees and I take the robe of a servant and I wash feet. How do we love? We we actively cling to Jesus through prayer, through the word, through fellowship, through loving one another. Abide in the vine. Why is this so critical? Again, John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me. Just as I abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Because apart from me, 
actually, you can do nothing. I remember the first time I studied this passage when I was in college. We're doing Bible study. John chapter 15, and I came across that verse. I'm sure that I had heard it a hundred times as a kid growing up, but I actually engaged with that idea in John 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I thought to myself, I don't get that. I'm, I'm doing things right now, particularly I was in school, and I thought, you know, I'm doing okay in school. I'm, I'm actually knocking it out. I'm making good grades. Why? Because I study, and I do my homework, and I take the test. What does Jesus mean, apart from me, you can do nothing? He means this. Anything that you are doing apart from him is a waste. Right? You can do lots of things. You can do well in school. You can serve your children and your spouse and your roommates. You can do things for them. You can cook meals and you can clean. You can accomplish things at work. You can get the project done and bring profit to your company. You can do things, but if you are not consciously, actively dependent upon God for those things, how is God honored in them? How is God honored? At the end of the day, you must of necessity take credit because you haven't stopped and said, well, God is the one who made my hands and my feet my mind and my mouth. God is the one who made all of these things and gave them all his gifts to me. So anything that I accomplish that is good, credit should go to him. Read with me chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. And this is why, that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that your fruit would abide, that your fruit would be eternally significant. So when we abide actively, consciously, humbly before God, we bear fruit eternally, right? Humble abiding, eternal fruit, fruit that is valuable. Otherwise, how can we actually honor and glorify God in our lives if we're not conscious that all that we have is a gift from him? That's why we abide. Third, fruitful branches, branches yield to the vine tender. Chapter 15 and verse 2. Every branch not bearing fruit in me, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, uh, I had a really wonderful video for you this morning. And technology is such a wonderful thing when it works. Um, so I will post it for you on the Facebook. And you can, uh, you can watch it later this week. I went out uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, to um, our local vineyard, Messina Hoff. And I got to speak with Paul and Meryl Bonarigo, who are, who are vine tenders. Right? They, they, this is what they do for a living. They know how to tend vines. And, and I was asking them about this process of pruning and it was, it's incredibly insightful. But uh, one primary thing that uh, kept coming through in our conversation was this. The vine tenders love the vineyard. In a sense, it's really their life. The vine tenders love the vineyard. They love every vine. They, they love the branches. They love what the branches produce. And so everything that they do for the vineyard and for each individual branch is done out of love. That's the motive. That's what's driving them. And if you think about how Jesus here, he's, he's calling the father the vine tender or the vine dresser. If you think about his description of his father, everything that the father would do, he, say, he would say, was out of love. Remember when he compared God as father to earthly fathers? He said, you know, you earthly fathers, you're, you're really not that great as fathers, really, honestly. In fact, you're evil. He said, you're evil. But, you know, if you have a son who asks for a loaf of bread, 
Would you give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, would you, would you hand him a snake? If you then, being mm, pretty marginal as fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father who is in heaven? So in John chapter 15, it says that the vine dresser prunes the branches. He prunes the branches. And that can be painful, but the motive is always love. Read with me again, chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now there's a word play that's going on here that doesn't actually come out in my translation. I'm using New American Standard. He says uh, that he uh, prunes the branch and then he says you are already clean. That's actually the same word in Greek. It's the word from which we get catharsis, cleaning. What he's saying is this, you're already clean, but I'm continually cleaning you. Okay, track with me. You're already clean, but I am also continually cleaning you. First John chapter one, verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, same word, from all unrighteousness. That's present tense. The moment that you believed in Jesus Christ, you were cleansed. The entire debt of your sin was removed fully, finally, completely, forever. But day in and day out, we continue to commit sins for which Jesus died, which Jesus has forgiven. And what do we need to do? Well, we need to go back and be cleansed again. And we can seek that cleansing, it tells us in 1 John 1, 9. And God is right to give us that cleansing on a day-by-day, maybe a minute-by-minute basis. Why? Because Jesus already paid for that. And we already accepted his payment. Now, let's go back to our our dirty feet illustration, right? When, When you were a little kid... You, you would come in from the outside and you just run into your home, right? You didn't knock. Did you? Did you ever just stop to knock or ring the doorbell? Why not? Because it's your house, right? You don't have to knock at your house. You just bust in the door. And as you bust in the door, your mom somehow magically, no matter where she is in the house, she says, wipe your feet, right? I mean, it's, I don't know how, but it's, they, they know that you've come in, even if you try to sneak in quietly, right? And they know there's dirt on your feet and they say, stop, wipe your feet, To which you could say, mom, I don't have to wipe my feet. This is my house. And mom says, wipe your feet or else, right? Yeah, it's your house, but it's also my house. It's our house. And I don't want you to bring in the dirt from the world and spread it around in our house. We won't have good fellowship. (laughs) It's still your house, but you're not going to enjoy living here. So wipe your feet. Jesus says, The one who is bathed is clean. You don't have to take a second bath. Once you belong to Jesus, you belong to him forever. But day in, day out, your feet need to be cleansed because you walk through this life and you pick up dirt. That's what Jesus is saying. The vine dresser's goal for your life is to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, lots of fruit. And so to do that, he has to prune. He has to clean continuously, continuously. How does he do that? Well, there are three ways I think that the father cleanses us or prunes us. Uh, The first is kindness. Romans chapter two says, do you not know that the kindness of the Lord leads you to repentance? Kindness. 
God brings blessings into your life and he wants you to, to stop and acknowledge and recognize those things. For me, the most powerful spiritual discipline in my life is thankfulness. You know, consciously stopping and either saying it out loud, saying it in my heart or writing it down. Are there things that are in my life that I don't like and they're frustrating or discouraging? Absolutely, every single day. Are there also things that I can continuously give God thanks for? Yes, every day. And when I make that my habit, I see the blessings of God and the kindness of God. And it shapes my heart. One of the ways that God can bear more fruit in my life and in your life is that we stop and we give thanks. Let the kindness of God be his primary tool in shaping you. Second is discipline. Keep your place here in John 15 and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline or for training that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children, you're not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Uh, this, this last week we went back out to uh, the vineyard and uh, the, the branches were in, I think it was, uh, Bonnery was described as the hallelujah phase, right? the hallelujah stage. That is the tendrils are just reaching up and they're just kind of going all over the place, right? Which uh, when the vineyard is trimmed, it looks really barren. You look down the rows and it, it, looks, looks, it looks dead. But the vine dresser, the vine tender, sees the potential, She's the potential for growth and fruit, and so wax away, right? Wax away. And it, in our lives, it, it hurts. I heard the phrase one time, if you want to have great rose bushes, let your enemy trim your roses. But then, literally, just uh, days later, those nice rains came. That's hallelujah phase. The tendrils are growing everywhere. The problem is, if they're not trained, and if they're not... Uh, trained to, to go along the wire, what will happen is the fruit will come out and the fruit set can become so heavy that uh, Paul Merrill said it can actually pull the vine and invert the vine and then the fruit is it's down the ground, it's laying on the ground, it, it rots, it spoils. Fruit has to be, the vines have to be trained. Right? This is what the word discipline literally means. It means trained. And they were saying some branches, they just seem to know, they, they go the right way. But then others, man, they are stubborn, right? They go this way, they go that way. And it's just a lot more work to train them to follow those wires so that they can yield good fruit. Men and women, God will train you to bear good fruit. And it can be easy or it can be difficult. But he will step into your life because he loves you. And he's not willing to let you just walk away and for your fruit to to come out and fall to the ground or for there to be very little fruit. In fact, if if a vine is not tended well, it just goes wild and crazy and the branches don't become strong enough to, to bring up the nutrients to bear really good, rich, great fruit. 
So God disciplines. He, he shows us kindness. He disciplines as he removes sin from our lives. He removes worthless things from our lives. But then also God just allows trials. It's not because we've sinned, but he uses the trials as a form of training for us. Count it all joy, James would say, when you encounter various trials. Because that, those trials, they're going to produce fruit in your life. Fruitful branches, they submit to the training of the vine tender. And then fourth, fruitful branches enjoy the abundance of the harvest. We've been talking here uh, this whole morning about fruit. Well, what is fruit? What do we mean by fruit? There are a lot of different things that are used in that metaphor for fruit. There's the fruit of your lips, which is praise. But one thing in particular that John is emphasizing through Jesus' word, and that is this, fruit is, is a changed life. A life that is, is deeply, radically changed all the way to the heart, not just externally in the behavior, but the person is changed. Look in chapter 15 and verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. At this moment in time, remember the setting we've been talking about as we've worked our way through John. They're not joyful. Let's not, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be sorrowful. Don't be discouraged. Don't be angry at me, what I'm saying. They, they're, they're not joyful. And they're not going to be joyful for several days now. They're going to be confused and disoriented and frustrated. They're going to be fearful. And they're going to run away from Jesus. But what he says is, as you abide in me, I will transform you. Your character will be changed. Remember, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are, these are a transformed life so that when circumstances occur in your life, your natural reaction is not fear, but it's joy. It's not hate or anger, but it's love. It's not frustration, but it's patience. Those things become natural. They become a part of your very personality, your character. The fruit that Jesus is talking about here is a life that is literally changed. Right? Not just the external behavior, what you do, but the attitudes of your very heart are changed. That's the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Uh, but there's more. John chapter 15 and verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What does it mean to glorify God? It means that God becomes famous through your life. People see the way that you naturally react to circumstances and they say, that is nothing like the way that I react. And God is made famous because you point to God. Say, yes, that's true. This is not fruit that I could produce on my own. It is fruit that God has produced in my life. In other words, men and women, remember, our responsibility is not to bear fruit. Our responsibility is to abide. And when we abide and we cling deeply to Jesus, he changes us. And when we are changed, The world around us is changed. Lives are impacted. Lives are transformed, not just our own. So how do we apply this? A few thoughts for you. First is this. Are you reaching out to other vines? There's one true vine. Are, Are you reaching out to other vines or are you finding life just in Jesus? I got to do a a planting with the Bonarigos and they said, Again, you know, some, some branches, they'll just go straight up and they seem to get it, but then others will send off these tendrils and they will reach for anything. They'll reach down for a rock or for a weed or for another branch. They'll reach for anything. 
And sometimes that's true in our lives. We just reach for anything. We say, well, I can find life here. I can find life there. But we can't. Are you reaching to the one true vine, just Jesus? Are you yielding to the work of the vine dresser in your life? Maybe at this point in your life, uh, our Heavenly Father is, is coming in and He's cutting and He's pruning and it hurts. Do you see his vision in John 15 for your life that you would bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit? Do you trust him? Do you yield to him to know what's best and to only prune you out of love? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you consciously, actively reaching out? Or is your relationship with him right now pretty casual? It's just casual. I want to encourage you this week. Focus on one thing. is How can you abide more deeply in the vine? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that that you are a good vine tender, that you've given us the vine, Jesus, and you've made us your branches by calling us to yourself. And I pray, Father, that we would learn what it means to abide in you, and we would see the fruit produce, not because of our effort, but because of the power of your Spirit in our lives, and we would rejoice Father, I pray that lives around us would be transformed as they see our transformed lives. I pray that we would not live for ourselves, but that we would live for your fame. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.